Welcome to the Win All Day Everyday Podcast presented by Prairie Hockey Academy. My name is Barrett Kropp and I'm joined by my co-host Justin Simpkins. Justin, it's been a crazy couple of weeks around Prairie Hockey Academy. Yeah, lots of excitement, right? <laughs> it's uh, some rare events. Yeah, really. Like that. We had uh, a goalie goal, which is extremely <laughs> rare that uh, yeah. you know, Hockey Night in Canada or TSN would would you know pick up on something like that. But it happened right at our in our own barn, and and uh, Riley Brown from the U U seventeen program. Yeah, it was uh, and it was a heck of a shot. Like he came out of the net, stopped a big dump in, pulled it up, and um, he sailed it right over the head of everybody and dropped it in the center of the net. It was pretty cool to see. Yeah. And his celebration afterwards and all the teammates all <laughs> yeah. in the crowd, everyone just kind of Did the fly by him. the bench. I wasn't sure if the refs <laughs> were going to make him come out because he, anyway, it was. Yeah, um, it was pretty awesome. It was pretty neat. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of, uh, you know, the, the U18s had a successful showcase a couple weekends ago and the U15s were at the Grand Tour uh, tournament, one of the largest tournaments in Western Canada. Um, you know, lots of hockey has been played the last few weeks and, and our, our athletes are continuing to perform at high levels and it's great to see. Yeah, it's fun. Um, you know, recently had another young man listed by the Prince Albert Raiders. That was fun. They got to celebrate uh, Ryland Moldy and that. And and then I had 300 kids knock on my door for Halloween and uh, gave out record numbers of candies again. Yeah. Um, and we had, we had a big part of, in Moose Jaw, there's a, an event called the Better Together Food Drive. And they have over 400 volunteers that go door to door and gather about 40,000 pounds worth of food uh, right. for the local food drive. And in Musha, like many communities across the province and, and the country, uh, the demand for um, visitors to the food bank is up over 30% this year. So we provided 110 volunteers uh, for the food drive this year. Yeah. Our entire academy and staff uh, got out there and, and knocked on the doors. And um, we're, you know, it, it's the second year that we've done it, but it's the 25th year that the uh, the food drive's gone on. And I think for me, it's one of the highlights of our season when our players can give back to the community and Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, historically we, we give, you know, almost 2000 hours of volunteer work into the community. And that was, that's one of the big events for us. We're really excited to talk about. Yeah. It's pretty neat. Um, it was pretty neat just to see the kids come up, you know, at our door in pre hockey jerseys. And my daughter had a highlight video shown at her school and she came home and she's like, dad, like all the people at the food drive were wearing Prairie hockey Academy jerseys. Like they played there or something. And Anyway, so neat. So thanks for leading that, Barrett. I think it's great for our community and and for our athletes to have that chance to give back to. Yeah, and thanks to the volunteers and all the people in the community that that really do spearhead it, and and Daisy Siglico and and others on the local committee. They do a great job. So shout out to them and and lots of you know other things that we'll be involved in throughout the year, and we'll we'll talk about. But uh, we're really excited today to have um, a, a guest on that hmm. has been instrumental in helping grow the league that we participate in, and so. Um, excited to, to have on board. Do you want to maybe introduce? Yeah, sure. Yeah, we, um, you know, the Canadian Sports School Hockey League is privileged to have Kevin Goodwin as our chief operation, our operating officer. And so Kevin, uh, you know, said yes to come on the show and talk a little bit about the CSSHL and some of the history he's been involved in and uh, having his own son play through the league as well and into junior ranks now, but uh, playing a pretty big part in growing it. And so Kevin, just want to welcome you to the uh, Win All Day Everyday podcast. Thank you for... Uh, coming on to share a little bit about uh, your journey with us. No, uh, thanks for having me, Justin and Barrett. Uh, pr- uh, privileged to be on uh, on this and looking forward to our discussion. Kevin, I remember about eight years ago, I, I put an application in uh, when we started working through a Hockey Canada credit school process uh, to the Canadian Sports School Hockey League. And my phone randomly rang one night with this phone number from Penticton, BC. And and it was Kevin responding to that application and learned lots about the CSSHL that day. and. I don't have the stats in front of me, but it, just the growth that's happened in those last, you know, eight years in the league um, has been instrumental. And, and I think you play have played a big part in that. But we'd love to hear a little bit, hear a little bit about the history, how you got involved in the CSSHL. Because, I mean, being a commissioner or a COO of a hockey league seems like almost a dream job for a lot of kids. I mean, maybe for me anyway, but... Yeah, so my past actually goes way back to uh, early 2000, Justin. Um, At the time, I was actually working at the Okanagan Hockey Academy program. Uh, It was the first year of their program. Uh, They had 15 student athletes, um, and it was something new to Hockey Canada. Uh, Hockey Canada just started these types of programs um, after uh, international events in the late 90s where they didn't do very well they actually had a summit and one of the recommendations coming out of the summit was to start uh, at the time they called them hockey canada sports schools but they've since changed it to accredited school 
And so they started accredited schools across the country. And the reason they did that is the likes of Sidney Crosby and type of athletes were actually leaving the country uh, to train elsewhere. They felt that um, these types of programs were, you know, something that could be developed across the country where the kids can train during the day and then have the evening off type of thing. So I started as an assistant coach with the Okanagan Hockey Academy, um, working graveyards at a local sawmill and then getting uh, back to practice in the morning. So I, I started back in 2001, two, somewhere in there. Um, from a league perspective, the league itself didn't start talking until 2008 and 9. Um, there was five programs involved in a meeting, uh, the Banff Hockey Academy at the time, Edge School, the Okanagan Hockey Academy out of Penticton, uh, the Pursuit of Excellence program in Cologne at the time, uh, and the Swiss International Hockey Academy. Um, so those five programs decided that, you know what, let's get together and create a small loop of our own. And in 2009-10, they, they started that loop. Um, there was only eight teams, two divisions. They played 55 games and had 150 student-athletes. So that, that was year one. Um, you know, this year is the 15th year of the league. Uh, they're up to, we're up to 32 programs, 111 teams uh, from Victoria to Charlottetown. So to see it grow from purely BC, Alberta based to across the country has been outstanding. Um, myself, as I said, I've been involved since day one from a league standpoint. Um, obviously the first couple of years was just being uh, with a member program and, and part of it that way. Uh, I then left for three years, actually, um, left and did something else and came back in in 2016 in this role when when the um, governors at the time decided they need somebody more in a full time role. So it's been an honor and a pr privilege to uh, have this role since 2016. And, and as you said, most exciting part about this role is seeing the continued growth. Yeah, I mean, it, the the growth of any business, and I, I sort of look at, you know, each of the academies and even the league as, you know, it's it's a large corporation that you're involved with. And when you see that kind of growth over a short time frame, you know, and, and coast to coast, we're not just talking about regional where you can just hop in a car um, and, and meet up with all the teams, um, you know, we're coast to coast and even into the U.S. with some programs. So um, that expansion has been fantastic to see. Obviously, there's had to be some strong mission, vision, values that have been put into place by the board. And even as you've grown through that, now you've had to maybe realign with some new strategic planning and, and some other governance. Can you talk about some of those steps along the way and, and really what the mission was when you came on board? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the mission statement since day one is to be national leaders in education-based hockey. And the biggest thing I can say to people is, I look at these programs and, and I'm never worried about the hockey development side of things. Uh, these kids get a ton of ice time. They get a ton of practices. Um, they do all their training during the day when, and then they have the evening to themselves to catch up on their school and rest and have a sort of a life. Right. And, and at the end of the day, you know, everyone has the goal of making it to the NHL, but you know, let's be honest, it's a very small percentage. And, and I like, programs to use the hockey side of it to make these better life people make them uh you know have them worry about their education get them involved in the community um, make sure that you're teaching them the right life lessons so that it doesn't matter if they move into hockey or if they move into the workforce or if they go on to college or university that they're already a step ahead of whoever they're competing with um, just based on what they've learned in the programs a ton of time that these kids can stay with these coaches and, and get those valuable lessons, which is great to see. Um, you know, when you look at what we've done on a governance side, obviously what happened with Hockey Canada last year um, really was eye-opening. Um, it allowed us to take a step back and, and kind of look ourselves in the mirror and, and see what we're doing and what's going on. And, and coming out of that, we've actually gone down the road of um, starting an independent um, you know, the National Hockey League doesn't have one. The Western Hockey League doesn't have one. Nobody really has an independent board when you look at the game of hockey. And, and what that means is that we're going to get um, shortly here, we'll be announcing a, a board of seven, um, varying backgrounds, law, risk, education, that sort of thing. 
And uh, these people have no ties to the league currently. They don't have uh, athletes that are in the league. They're not uh, ownership in any programs, uh, that type of thing. So it, it's really going to have an outside group really look at what we're doing and, and help us improve. With the, with the growth of the academies across the league uh, and the country, you've, you talk about the education-based part of it. Um, you know, walk us through what that looks like. You know, obviously when we came involved seven years ago as Prairie Hockey Academy, there was, um, you know, the application that had to take place. But can, you know, can anyone, can someone just in the middle of, you know, armpit Manitoba all of a sudden say, hey, I want to start an academy. Like how, how does this even happen? Is it like, is it actually governed well? Is it, you know, can anyone take part in it? Like just... Just for our listeners out there, because there's so many of them I know that we come across into the rinks that we're, we're going to and whatnot and different tournaments that we go to outside of, of the league that there, you know, there's lots of misnomers out there about what academy hockey is. So maybe you can give, give us a snapshot on, on what it actually means for an academy to be part of the CSHL. No, for sure. Thank you. That's a great question, Barrett. Um, a lot of people think that all of our programs and the league itself is, is basically spring hockey and you just apply and you're done. Um, it's actually a, a very rigorous process, and, and the first step is actually to apply to your local branch, so Air case Sask Hockey, um, and then that branch decides whether or not they want to have an accredited startup in, in their area, and it's a very long process. Like the applications themselves are two to three hundred pages long. Um, it's a process that can take a year and a half, two years to get approval. Um, and then once you're approved, you actually have to undergo a review every three years uh, by the branch in Hockey Canada. Look at these programs across the country. They're the most heavily regulated by far. There are a lot of hoops they have to jump through and constantly jump through. And, and that's just to make sure that the programming is at a level where it needs to be. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. It, you know, these reviews are great where they can go in and a branch will have an idea on, on how a program get better and i'll say this our operators always looking to get better and when they get that feedback they take it and they run with it they don't just push it away they're like yeah no never thought of that or good point or you know what great way to make us better and, and continue down the road so, um and again a lot like you said a lot of people have no idea or a true understanding of, of what's involved to even get one of these programs you know when you look at western canada for example you know, we, we we don't want these programs everywhere. It doesn't make sense. Uh, minor hockey still needs to run. AAA programming still needs to run. Um, it's about giving athletes within each province the ability to attend one of these programs with province if they want. And a metric we actually look at is how many kids in a province are leaving a province to play somewhere else uh, within our league. And, you know, we can keep it 5% or less. We think that that's a good number. You know, we start to look at, well, we're up to 20 or something. Well, maybe that's a conversation we can have with the brands and say, hey, we got a lot of kids leaving your province to go elsewhere. And But it's up to the branches on, on whether or not they want to add more programming. And you look out west, I, I don't know if you'll ever see one more added. Yeah. And I mean, after that, too, there's there's the rigorous process of, you know, working with the member branch and then. And then there's the rigorous process of the application actually to to be um, included as a program in the CSSHL and and the governors of that table. I mean, I was there for two years in a row, and um, I remember Ian Gallagher, you know, raked me through the coals the first year. So I was like, "Who is this guy?" <laughs> but Ian had some great questions, right? That prepared me for my second year, um, and just knowing what we needed to do that first year to come back and to and you know that was done around that governor table and in essence to protect the CSSHL and the group of people there and make sure that the operators that do get involved are um, willing to, you know, run a, a world-class program. Yeah. And, you know, and that, and that's part of growth, right? You begin, you get to a point, Justin, where um, you can be a little more, you know, where you can, you know, wait a little longer in, in order to approve people and you have some time, right. And, you know, I think we've learned those lessons over the years. And, and as you well know, our, our group has really gone down the road of really making sure we have quality people that are in it for the right reason. 
Um, and that's the key. You need people that have the right value system and, and see it the same way and, and are using hockey as, as the avenue to make these kids better at everything else. And, um, those are the important pieces for us moving forward and, and what it looks like. When you look at a Eastern Canada and, and what's going on out there and, and our growth out there, you, you'll you'll notice that our growth is with programs that are schools, um, Bishop's College. It's a school, so you their value system is education, and so those are the types of programs that um, we like to add. And when you look at Eastern Canada, it's a lot different than Western Canada, where you have a lot of these private schools that have been around for 100, 200 years, and they all have hockey. And and they're all looking at, you know, do we come back into the Hockey Canada system and do we become a part of this league? And and, and those are the types of programs that we're, we're trying to, you know, bring on board is because they are. They're education-based hockey. Like, we don't need to recreate the wheel out, out east by any stretch of the map. And expansions also happen in the United States for us. Right. I mean, maybe talk about that. I know there's even teams that probably are emailing you like I once did a long time ago, but we, we do have a few programs there now. No, for sure. And, and again, it's um, right now our board has given us the direction to kind of look for our south of the border to try and create that north-south travel. Um, you'll notice uh, we added the team out of Wenatchee this year, a team out of Seattle this year, the Star, Star Hockey Academy. Uh, we already have the team in Coeur d'Alene out west here. So um, we've also invited some guest teams that were interested in joining the league, but they were just too far south down into California. So um, we've had the Fairmont schools come up to a couple of events. We've had the St. Mary's High School out of Stockton come up to a couple of male and female events. So, um, you know, we're, we're slowly starting to, to build out the U.S. side. Um, and again, when you look out in, in eastern Canada and the eastern U.S., there's a ton of private schools, again, that are just south of the border. And, and those are the people that we want to have discussions with out there. And, and we continue to do so. Um, whether they decide to jump on or not, is it's up to them. It has to be a fit for their program, which we completely understand. It, it's more about, you know, let's not recreate the wheel. You know, we have there's a lot of great programs and we can slowly build up those programs into our league. It just, again, it's just creates that education-based hockey scenario where the kids are getting exactly what they should be. And on the the development model overall, in terms of the education, combining it with hockey, you did allude earlier to, um, you know, how much hockey that the guys get with practice and, and the dryland training and the, you know, the aimability courses that we can talk about as well. Um, you know, in Saskatchewan and, and maybe on more so in the Prairie Provinces, you know, for the last 15, 20 years and, and longer, every small town family seems to either have keys for the local small arena and their kids can skate like a, a plethora of hours regularly into the wee hours of the morning if they want to, um, or they just don't even lock the doors. But, um, you know, as times have hit some communities and a lot of those arenas aren't, you know, open anymore or they're ice plants have shut down, so they've gone to natural ice. And, you know, so some of these small town, you know, communities, they're having to drive an hour, two hours every day or every other day for practices. And, you know, so I think for us, that's where we see a lot of our, our growth at our academy is is players just realizing and parents realizing that they're done burning vehicles and chasing chasing kids all over the countryside on, on dangerous roads in the middle of winter. And so for us here, that's been part of it. But maybe in some of the larger centers, maybe speak to some of the development and, and the the sort of the, the craving that parents have to, to make sure their kids are getting a good education, but also, you know, maybe the quality coaching isn't there or maybe there's just not enough rep players that, that are out there for their kids' development to continue on. Yeah, honestly, there's a lot of great hockey programs out there, Barrett, and, and families and athletes have to figure out what's what's best for their themselves and their development and, Everyone always looks at um, the programs within our league and say, oh, why would you pay $25,000 to be a part of that program? And, and I always say that there's, there's a couple of things. Number one, you get 10 months of training, right? So when everyone else is shutting down their hockey teams in March, you're still getting to skate into April and May. You're still going to get uh, all the support with your off-ice training and all of that. So now if, if you're a parent looking at that, what would it cost me to do all of that privately in those three months? 
what would that look like? What would that cost? Um, number two, everything, all the travels paid for, your meals, your buses, everything. So what does it cost me to drive my kid to all of these games and, and to all these tournaments? And what does that cost? And and then, you know, what's it costing me to buy a new helmet and all of that? Because everyone gets helmets and gloves and shells for their pants. What does that cost? And, and all that thing. And then the other part of it is what kind of lifestyle am I getting? Like th these kids are do their training during the day. Um, they get graduation credits towards it, whether it's PE or whatever other credits are given to them. Um, and they're home by dinner every night. They're not coming home to rush and eat and out the door at nine, home again at 11, can't get to one, and then got to get back up to go to school tomorrow. So the kids are going to excel in school because they get the rest. They're going to excel in school because they get um, the time to work on their homework. And the parents and the kids are going to be able to have dinner every night. And as we all know, that doesn't happen with 13, 14, 15, 17-year-old hockey players, especially when you get into the larger centers. They're having to skate at 9 o'clock at night, 10 o'clock at night, drive the 40 minutes to get there and, and then come home. So, you know, and, and that's where I really like it. it. It's so supportive. You get a really good lifestyle out of it, which allows your athlete to succeed and you as a family to really enjoy some time together, which is great. And, and at the end of the day, when you look at a program, are you willing to pay four to five grand more than what you are anyway to receive that? And I think most people would answer yes, but that's just my own personal stuff. Yeah, no, and I think you're right. I think that that's what we, we see at our academy. And yeah, there's, there's that initial pushback, but once you explain some of those additional costs and just the quality of life that your son or daughter is going to get, but also you as a family, get your, your life back. And I'm glad you mentioned that, get your, Get your evening meals back together as a family. I think that that's such a, an important part of it, right? So um, just talk about the future of the game as well. When we're talking about, you know, some of the uh, the growth and in, in that we've experienced, there's also been some, I don't know, I guess the, the rogue leagues that are, you know, been popping up and maybe some would look at it as a bit of a competition to even what we're trying to do. But, um, you know, there's when... When there's growth that's happening, whether it's inside or outside of the matrix of your national sport organization, um, someone maybe is suffering at the local level and minor hockey associations maybe haven't been, you know, doing their job and in, in developing athletes and coaches and and uh, parents is tired of maybe the politics that are within some of the associations and stuff like that. So all of a sudden you get these, you know, the, the rogue league out there that started, you know, feeds into the BCHL and, and what they're trying to do there. But um, is there, <laughs> maybe, it, I don't our, our show is not controversial, so we're not trying to stir the pot. Not yet. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think it's, uh, people want to talk about it. It, it. Like there's the, there used to be a real simple path of my son plays in our, you know, our in Saskatchewan, you'd play, say, for, the Estevan U13, then to the U15, then to the U18, then you play for the Estevan Bruins and go up the road and beat up the Wavering Red Wings and and then maybe get a scholarship and go and play in the Big Six Hockey League. Like there was a pathway for that or even going on to university and pro, but now it's so complicated. And so the, the questions I'm getting now from my parents, whether it's on the U15s or 18s or in between, is what do we do next year? Like should Like we're getting an invite from the BCHL team, but the junior B team is now also maybe junior A and there's like, it's just so convoluted from your side of the world. Like you're sitting on the commissioner side of the desk or as the, the CFO or CEO of our league. Um, like how, how do you handle that? How do you couch these questions from parents and in, in terms of the future of, of the game of hockey, really? You know what? Uh, that's a great question, Barrett. Um, the one thing I always say to parents when they ask me the question is how much are they going to play? Because whatever it is, you, you need to play. Um, and quite honestly, everyone's always in the rush to get to junior. And sometimes your best development path is to actually stay back and play U18 in your grade 12 years so that you can um, get more ice time, develop the power play, the penalties skills. Like, like <clears throat> you know, I'll, I'll use my own son as an example. And, and this is just a personal story of mine. 
Um, my son, I live in British Columbia. My son's playing junior hockey in Ontario right now for the Wellington. The reason he's playing in Ontario is because he got bumped out of a couple of BC Hockey League uh, teams this year. And he wanted to play in the BC Hockey League. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're going to play games, great. You just lose some things on the end. You know, you can't uh, go to the Centennial Cup and the National Championship. Can't be part of the World Junior A Challenge. You know, you lose some things. Um, you know, so, but on the flip side of that, he was offered a spot with the Penticton Bees, and it was their eighth D-man spot. And they felt that it was better developmental-wise for him to be the eighth D-man on the Bees and get zero games. They promised him zero games. They felt it was better for him to practice all year with them versus to play junior hockey anywhere else in the country. And that's not right. I'm sorry. Your best development path is to be playing games, no matter where it might be. So that's junior hockey and where that's going. When you look at this Hockey Canada system and, and all these other things that are popping up, and they're popping up across the country, they're in Ontario, they're in Alberta, they're expanding in British Columbia. And, you know, myself personally, I look at it and I think these things are all popping up because hockey hasn't changed the pathways you described, Barrett, in 50, 60 years. Nothing's changed since hockey started in this country. And and minor hockey associations and local branches like SASC Hockey and Hockey Canada really need to take a step back and, and identify what the, the consumer or what the, the athlete is looking for and, and try to offer some sort of programming that makes sense to those um, The days of, you know, Wanting to be on the ice four and five times a week and, and play every single weekend might be done for some people, right? I get it at the higher levels, but, you know, those recreational players might want to play on a Wednesday and Thursday so they can be on Saturday and Sunday, things like that. Um, you know, and, and at the end of the day, and, and I'll give Hockey Can the branches credit, is they're actually currently conducting a survey to try and understand what people are looking for, which is great because you need to have that information so that you can make informed decisions. But, you know, let's be honest, 2023 and it's not 1953 anymore. And what worked in 1953 isn't going to work in 2023. <laughs> it doesn't matter what it is. Like, um, so you need to really look yourself in the mirror and adjust for yeah, I think you're right, Kevin. I mean, I mean, our family structures have changed too, right? In 1953, we probably saw, a, a, you know, a one-income family. Uh, we didn't see both parents working, different pieces like that, and um, and just the busyness of that life. Uh, and I just, you know, a friend of mine would always use this statement with me about any entrepreneurship or business. Uh, he would always just say, the market is efficient. At the end of the day, they'll let the market decide. And I think what we've seen is the market, you know, changing. Like you said, it's not 1953 anymore. And and I think with some of the upstart, these leagues are starting up because there's demand for them because people are looking for a different pathway and a new opportunity and a chance to maybe train during the day and um, not at night. And anyway, it's um, I'm kind of dreading when my children grew up and they have nine o'clock practices because that's my bedtime. <laughs> I'm just like, I don't know if I can do that, but... Uh, and then it goes back to what I said before, and I think that's why the success of accredited schools has been so well received is because people want that back. Like like you said, Justin, two parents have to work nowadays to make it work. Like, look at what interest rates have done and how much real estate costs and all of that stuff. And and to make a go of it with one income is really, really hard right now. And and the only way to get those times back is is and to spend time with your kids is to try and develop um, a schedule that makes sense for you as a family. And, and that's what these programs do. And, and, you know, at the end of the day, some other programs might be trading that as well. Right. So it's, you know, things have to adjust uh, what it looks like. I don't have all the answers there, but it, you definitely have to look yourself in the mirror and, and try to figure out what makes sense. For sure. Yeah. That's good. We touched on it briefly, the, the aimability um, program that the CSHL has in place and, you know, we're, I think we're into, I know our, my, my team's uh, watched the third segment for this year and, and uh, segment four will be this coming week that we'll be watching it. But, you know, there's, you know, we're an education-based league. We're getting players that are, you know, getting drafted to the Western League into junior A teams, going on to junior A or universities in Canada and the U.S., going on to play pro. 
Um, but it's also about character development and making sure that these are well-rounded student athletes that are chasing and pursuing excellence on and off the ice. And so uh, help, under, help our listeners understand some of the tools that the league has put into place and um, help our student athletes grow across the board with that same understanding through the aimability program. Yeah, so we've had um, an education series in place for, well, I'm going to say six or seven years now. Um, but what we used to do with the series was that um, allowed our partner programs to basically work on certain topics within their school. Um, last year, we actually, with COVID and everything that's gone on, um, we decided to partner uh, with a group called Aimability. And what they do is they, uh, find professional speakers on certain topics uh, to present to our student athletes. Um, and it's all done online. Uh, the sessions are recorded um, so that the kids can watch them. Now they have two weeks from the session to, to watch their sessions. And, and you do better, you watch with your team, which is great to, to be able to provide them feedback. But sessions are put in place as, as extra educational um, sessions for the kids to, again, to become better people, because that's our goal here. Um, you know, we cover digital ethics and internet safety because let's be honest, it's a scary world out there with your phones right now. Um, you know, you see these extortion um, things happening constantly now, and you really need to spend time with your kids and, and the teams and and really constantly talk about it because it's happening. It's happening everywhere, and you're seeing these stories all the time. Um, you know, we obviously talk about drugs and alcohol, uh, racism and diversity in sports, sexual misconduct and harassment, obviously trying to give the kids the tools to make sure that when they do move on to, to be older or, or when they're, they're in these programs that they're, they're acting appropriately and, and not getting themselves into trouble. You know, we talk about mental health with them. We even talk about high performance mindset and, and what you need to, to really Push yourself to the next level nutrition we talk about and and a new topic we added this year was actually transition um life after grade 12 what that looks like and and the tools you need to have in place or the things you need to think about to be successful after you after you leave the education and move out there into the real world right so um it's a series that i, I love it um you know giving these athletes um, these tools and continue to help build the tools also giving the coaches the tools you know them watching these topics and and having the ability to talk about it with their kids and, and their athletes and constantly talk about it it is a great thing it's I, I look at it as not just educating the kids but educating the coaches as well because you know let's be honest they all need to be educated on a lot of these topics it's great so, no, I, I really enjoyed the series Good thing for the athletes to go through and, and it takes you know we won't be done this series until the end of january uh, for our athletes so it goes most of the actually which yeah it's good kevin i think it you know for us as operators too it gives us a lot of confidence for for our families that are involved and i just think you know we know that we can standardize this across our league and that we're we're all being educated in in these um in these ways and and just that whole it's the citizenship series right essentially and and as for a family, you know, a prospective family looking to come, they, you know, this, they start to understand that the CSSHL kind you know, has these standards that, that the, you know, the executive committee, the board of governors, and now the new board of directors, when they're elected, will, will be able to set and have in place, which I think gives a lot of, um, trust and, uh, and hope even for, uh, for the prospective families coming, recognizing that the CSSHL, uh, you know, holds some things in high regard that they have some set standards and expectations that they have some set, uh, you know, league wide education series. And then even, you know, standards on ethics and coach behaviors and, and different trend, stuff like that, that, you know, we look to continue to talk about as governors and those things are great. And I think that's, you know, in your time today, I think you've kind of helped us, you know, I guess, flesh that out a little bit in the sense of that, that and this is the CSSHL and uh, we're national leaders in education based hockey. And, but we're not just there because we have a vision statement on that. We're really intentional on every practice that we put through with all of our operators from the moment that they're selected to be a program in our league to what they, what they implement every, every day and throughout the development months um, in the season. So 
No, and I'll say this, Justin, at the end of the day, I, I never worry about the hockey. I, I really push our groups to uh, worry about, you know, the kids' academics, uh, to worry about their citizenship, getting them out into the communities, uh, worrying about their character, making sure they're acting appropriately and being held accountable. Um, you know, that's the push for me, for coaches. And 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 that's, again, educating coaches as well. I, I understand that coaches are very focused on the game and, wanting to improve their teams there but you know we push our coaches to have these other conversations with their athletes because they're important conversations to have to to make them better people and and they're going to listen because they want to be there for the hockey right so you know you don't need to practice five times a week you can take a a day off and actually spend some time on some of these to help improve them as individuals which is the important piece here so yeah we talk lots about first things first at Prairie Hockey Academy. There's this idea of, you know, we're, we're student first, athlete second. And, uh, you know, C.S. Lewis coined that first things first terminology of uh, when we put first things first in our life, second things actually don't become less. They have the opportunity to become greater. Uh, I, I always talk about myself as a mediocre hockey player with a poor attitude who didn't put first things first in his life. And when it came down to a college scholarship, I had one, um, one opportunity. And had I have, you know, maybe focused on my education a little more, I may have been greater. Um, but we, we talk about that lots, and I'm proud to say that in our first six years, 83% of our student athletes, uh, which is a cumulative total, 83% of the of those uh, in those first six seasons have uh, made either honor roll or high honors. And it's a little bit less than our, what we're hoping to hit is that 85, but we, um, we're rolling in at 83, and that's great. And this podcast a lot more, it's a lot, it's about a lot more things than just hockey, as, as I hope you've you've come to see and but maybe in closing we should maybe talk about hockey just a little bit right i mean there's some cool stats obviously Connor bedard we had the opportunity and the privilege of watching him uh you know play through our league here for for just two seasons i guess or was he here for three two i believe two seasons Connor played in the league yeah he was too good to play here for three <laughs> um and we've got others right logan dupont uh was in our in our um building this past weekend at the barkman arena in Karenport you know, underage, who's probably currently leading the U18 prep division in scoring as a defenseman, not the whole division, but for defenseman maybe. And well, and you had Rudolph that was in the building as well, right? Yeah. So and the first overall pick in the league last year. And so that, yeah, some great talent, some great talent. And I think that, you know, I don't know if you have those quick stats, or if this is a Jordan, you know, communications question, but even, you know, when it comes down to Western hockey League picks or NHL grads now division, division one, I mean, we, we are, there is some fruit being produced as well uh, in this process. Yeah, I, and, and I go back again to um, a lot of kids have the hockey path. A lot of kids have uh, other paths. You know, when you look at our league right now, um, some of the updated stats, um, you know, we've, we've had 227 male and 304 female athletes going to college or university hockey uh, of our alumni. Um, you know, we've had 605 play major junior. I actually don't have the number that have been drafted um, into major junior, but I, I do know we have 605 that have played. Uh, junior A, we've had over 1,600 play junior A um, in the 15 years. Uh, we've had 127 kids drafted into the NHL. Um, and Matt Dumbo was the first one to get drafted out he was um, he was the first one to ever get drafted. Um, and he went to Minnesota, obviously. Um, but yeah, from that point, to uh, you know, you look at the last couple of years and the kids that have been drafted. Um, you know, Bone Byram, uh, uh, Dylan Cousins, Jake Neighbors, Paul Sillinger, that's playing, uh, you know, that type of thing. Obviously, Caden Gooley, um, you know, Fraser Minton that had a stint with the Leafs. He came through. Um, got to play with Connor Bedard. Obviously, you talked about Connor already. Zach Benson, who's having a really good time in Buffalo right now, and and having some success, and and Justin Sirdoff, who uh, just signed with Florida. So you know, Kent Johnson came through, and it's really good. You know, when you look at our alumni, fifty um, percent of of uh, the World Junior Team, Canadian World Junior Team last year, uh, RCSHL alumni. So uh, again, just to that is is great for us um you know and then when you look at the ihf stuff we've had 45 male and 40 female athletes represent their country 
whether it's U18, U17, or the World Junior. Um, we have some female athletes that are now on the Canadian Olympic team, which is great to see. It's, you know, as, as these kids roll through, there's, there's a lot of good stories for sure. And uh, it's good to see. Like I said, I, it's great to see that they're moving on in the game, but I always like the stories away from the game. It's, I like the college and university one. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think, I take great pride in it. You know, Warren Bennis wrote a book in the early 2000s, I believe, and just talked about, you know, um, a leadership crisis. And he said it's actually the number three concern in the world is the ever-increasing leadership crisis. This was 20 years ago. And um, sitting around the governor's table and seeing, you know, what the operators do and uh, knowing that our league puts in place a lot of these intentional citizenship series and amiability and that, and then you see these young men and women going on to be leaders on their Olympic squads, uh, junior teams, universities. It just, it, it, anyway, it gives me confidence to know that we're, we're not only developing hockey players, but we're developing great citizens and leaders that, uh, and hopefully contributing um, to help increase or improve on that leadership crisis that the world's facing right now. Totally agree. Um, just before we get into our guide and provide section on uh, getting some advice from you for our players, parents, coaches out there. Um, you know, you, you talked about, um, you know, 10 minutes ago about that fact where it's much better for a kid to get game time and, and, you know, stay back for their grade 12 year instead of rushing ahead. And, you know, obviously there's going to be the outliers like your Bedards and your cousins and everyone else that can, can make that jump. But if, if you're talking to a team and they're often either eighth defenseman spot, um, how much more development they're going to get is un like you can't even match that up. And I can tell you from firsthand, spending most of my coaching career at the college and university level, how difficult it is to academically get a kid qualified to even come to university when they went to that junior team as a seventh or eighth defenseman as a 16-year-old and didn't like it. So they asked for a trade to another town and then they spent a year there, didn't like it. And now they've got traded maybe across the province to another country and their academic rigor, their, 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 their dogwood doesn't exist. Like they have no, like they, they maybe have gotten the certificate for walking across the stage as a grade 12 student, but there's no standard that they can get admitted to a university for. And I, like for every kid that, that I had that I wanted to recruit and, and bring to come play for me that had that, if I had a, if I had a dollar bill for each, I might be sitting <laughs> on a beach in, in Mexico because it's, it's not, it's not, and irregularity, like it, it happens often because parents just feel we've got to jump ahead of the queue because well, Bedard did it, so my kid's got to do it. And uh, you know, maybe you can just speak to that, that, and and just talk a little bit more about that. That don't rush it. Your, your development of ten months at an academy is going to far surpass anything that you might get in playing as an eighth defenseman in a in a junior A world. And no, and that's the thing, Barrett. And like I said before, it boils down to. Where am I going to play? Um, you know, being a seventh or eighth man on a team um, where you're hardly going to play, and then even when you do get in a lineup, you're not going to get a lot of ice time in junior. Uh, let's be honest, junior hockey world is, is a lot different than than the minor hockey world. Um, so you're 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 not going to get to play. And versus if you stay back in whether it's an accredited school or triple A or whatever the programming might be. You know, you might be a, a top four guy and get power play, penalty kill, five on five. And so you're developing all of your skill set there you know, by, by staying back. And and I love how you touched on the, the academic side of things. And, and you know, myself personally, um, I even look at um, athletes and families that um, leave programs to, to chase wins and losses. And, and I struggle with that. Like, when I see a kid jump from Alberta to BC or Alberta to Saskatchewan or Ontario to Quebec or vice versa, they're not looking after their education and, and you know, like you said, getting their education where it needs to be. Um, if you're in three or four different provinces in, in three or four years, it's going to be tough for you to, to do anything on an education front, let's be honest. So. Um, you know, it, it can be as simple as just learning what the, the new process is within a program, what the teacher's expectations are, all that. That's going to take some time. And then it's January and then you're playing catch up. And, and for me, that doesn't make sense. And the other part is, is 
the NCAA for the people that want to go down that road. Um, you know, scholarships are scholarships. Um, the best part is that a, a hockey team, for example, only has X amount of dollars in hockey money. But the amount of education money they have mm-hmm. is 10 times that. So if I have a really good education and really good marks, and I can go to an NCAA school and say, here are my marks, and they're going to say, awesome, we can give you a 100% education scholarship. I don't have to burn any of my hockey money. You can probably attend almost any NCAA school you want because you have your grades there, and they can spend the money on education scholarships versus because they have a limited number of dollars when it comes to hockey. So if you've looked after your education and you can play the game, you're, you can have a lot more uh, opportunities and chances for sure. And, and the other thing is that, like you said, everyone's in a rush to, to get ahead. And, you know, there's not many Connor Bedards in the world. Let's be honest. Like those those kids are are unique and there's not very many of them. And, and so when you really start to break it down, and, and this is a stat I love to give to all of my coaches, is that the NHL started in 1917. And from 1917 until today, there's only about 4,300 athletes that have played 100 games or more. 100 games or more. So if I'm making 800000 a year and I play my 100 games, I've made a million dollars in career earning. It's not a lot, you know, if you're only playing 100 games. So, um, you know, it's just a stat. Um, so again, if you concentrate on on everything else, um, you'll be fine. And at the end of the day, we all end up in beer league at some point. It's just a matter of when. <laughs> Good. Well, you've already given us some great advice, but is there something specific? We'll we'll go in order. We'll ask for your advice to you know an upcoming player. You know whether they're in our league or in minor hockey or just you know anyone that's U eighteen to U fifteen. Um, what advice would you give to a young player right now? Have fun with it. Um, you know, it's not going to happen overnight. Um, work hard in practices because, you know, you might be the best kid when you're seven and eight, um, but everyone's going to catch you eventually. So, you know, continue to work at it, continue to hone your craft um, and just have fun with it. Like, you know, everyone puts so much pressure on on everything, whether it's a major junior draft or like you said, jumping to junior A or whatever, but um, those things will come. Um, but if you're not working at it and, and having fun with it, it's going to be a grind and it's going to be tough and, and you're not going to want to do it anymore when you're 18 and then the goal is to want to do it when you're 18. So enjoy it. It's a game. Have fun with it. And as a parent that has had a, a, a son go through the stages of minor hockey and then into academy and on to junior, what are some advice you'd give to parents that are exactly in those shoes right now trying to decide you know, do I need an agent? What scout should I listen to? What team should I go to? What? How, how can you put them at ease? You know what? It's just about, um, you know, just talking to people. Talk to your head coaches. Um, they have all kinds of connections everywhere. Uh, create, um, create that relationship with your head coach. Um, they will be able to help point you in the right direction and, and down the right path. Um, you know what? And, and sometimes... Again, it goes back to you need to go where you're going to play. And that's what, and my kid's a prime example of that. Like he could have been in the BC Hockey League, but he wouldn't have played a game. Or he can go out to Ontario and and play a regular shift as the youngest D-man on the team, uh, five on five, which is great. That's what he needs right now. And he's not going to be on the power play right now. He's not going to kill penalties all the time right now. But if he's getting a regular shift, that's how he's going to develop. So it's a great, great thing for him because he's getting to play. So figure out where that might be. And it's not always going to go according to plan. Like my kid wanted to be in the BC hockey. I'll be the first guy to say that. But he's loving his experience. He, he's really enjoying it. We were actually out there last weekend for parents weekend. And, and the support that that team has and, and the volunteers that they have and, and the amount that they care for those kids and the support those kids have is fantastic and it's a great experience for him and it's going to be one he's going to look back on his life and be so happy that he did and that's what it's all about 
That's all that matters. And then, um, I mean, just in regards to the uh, development of players, CSHL also develops coaches and refs. And, you know, there, there's a lot of coaches that kind of maybe cut their teeth on on a few programs well, here yeah, and there and then move on. Kevin Goodwin, come on. Yeah, there you go. He's coaching. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, get, what, what, is some, what is some advice that you'd give to, to guys in our league or even just, you know, coaches that are maybe looking elsewhere, like is Academy Hockey a place for them to maybe, you know, cut their teeth as well? I'll say this. Um, coaches in our league or within our programs probably have the best coaching jobs in hockey. Um, you're not hired to win and lose. You're hired to develop athletes and, and individuals. Um, so if that's something that really you like to enjoy, you're hired and you're not going to get fired unless you deserve to get fired, period. And it's going to be nothing to do with wins and losses. So if you want stability and you want all of that, it's a great thing. As for guys that want to move on to the junior ranks or professional ranks, um, obviously you're going to have the opportunity to really hone your skills in on on how much practice time you got, how much um, game video time you have available to you. Um, really get an understanding of how to um, potentially treat the athletes, not just as hockey players, but as individuals, because you're learning how to um, really make them better people. So that part of it, um, unfortunately, you don't get as much time in, in AAA or minor hockey loop to, to really develop that um, in most places. Um, and everyone gets so focused on on wins and losses, and you really don't have to in, in these environments. You're, you're paid to develop people, period, whether it's on the ice or off the ice. So That's great. Um, thanks for your time with us, Kevin. We really do appreciate your leadership in, in the league, in the sport. You um, can continue to put the, the league on, on the map, and in doing so, you're, you're helping, you know, um, give players and families and coaches and officials the opportunity to pursue excellence and, and to be leaders as well. So to you, your, your, your support staff, the governors, um, I want to say thank you, you know, as, as one of the members here in a small part of Saskatchewan um, doing our part, we can't do without you guys doing your part. And, and same thing, our, we can't have these freedoms without the military doing it before us. And so really want to say, uh, you know, thank you. Make sure everyone remembers uh, on on the 11th to take some time to, to remember what's going on around us and be thankful what we have. So from all of us to you, uh, thanks for being on the podcast. Win all day, every day. We look forward to seeing you next week. No, thank you, Barrett. Thank you, Justin. I appreciate your time today and uh, look forward to seeing you guys in the rink at somewhere along the line. Thank you for listening to this episode of Win All Day, Every Day podcast presented by Prairie Hockey Academy. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would ask that you follow us on our social media feeds so you can get weekly alerts when we drop a new episode. Plus, if you could leave us a comment and a rating so that other listeners can have the opportunity to hear about this podcast, we'd greatly appreciate it. This allows us to grow our awareness of today's show and further episodes. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode and we look forward to seeing you in the future.